Our Father, you in your own sovereignty have designed and orchestrated this event, our presence here this morning. We are here by your grace. Nothing that we would have done in and of ourselves that caused us ultimately to be here. It again is because of your grace. We breathe because of your grace. We are able to move because of your grace. We are able to cognitively process our surroundings because of your grace. The way we relate to others is again an expression of your grace. And so, Father, we commit ourselves to you this day afresh, asking that your grace may continually be upon us, in us, and expressed through us, so that you might be exalted and honored in everything that we say and everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are holy, uh, raise your hand. Y'all don't trust me, eh? Let me say that again. By the way, do you know that the Bible calls you, if you have placed faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you are holy. Let me ask this again now. If you believe that you are holy, raise your hand. Thank you. I didn't see that. The Bible is an amazing book. There are, well, three main groups of characters. You, you, you have people in this, you know, a lot, of, a lot of what is written in here talks about us, humanity. There's another group of persons in here. We call them spirits or angels, and they have maybe two classifications. Those who have fallen, and I guess those who have not fallen. And then there's this other entity we call the triune God. And he is manifested in Scripture through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I know the concept is sometimes difficult to us to process. I've found it for myself convenient and easier to comprehend the Trinity, when I think of time, and simply because I say time is equivalent to God. But time also has three aspects to time. You have the past, the present, and the future. Which part of the past, or the present, or the future is not a part of time? That's your homework. I will see you here at this evening's service with the results. But here's what I want you to do. Among all of the many things and the fascinating things that we might find in Scripture, I want us to eavesdrop and visit another CBC, 
this morning. And that is not Calvary Bible Church. That's where you are today. I want us to visit the Corinthian Bible Church. And this would be in chapter 10, verses 7 through 18. In your bulletin, it gives you a little snapshot as to where I might be focusing my thoughts this morning. And I'll just read this. In the discharge of your worship. This is your contextual honoring and reverencing and paying homage to God. Whether this is done volitionally, emotionally, physically, or a combination of all three, I want you to be aware or to expect to be falsely charged by those from within. It will happen. So I want to warn you not to be surprised when it does. Nonetheless, I want you not to boast, but if you must, boast only in the Lord and await his commendation. Now, just for background, the book of Corinthians is simply talking about ministry. And I think it is important that you know from our previous, and we would have spoken, I would have touched on this in our last time I shared with you, is basically the church's work and service in the world. And you know, Paul was very passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it gives the, Paul addresses the issue at the beginning of that uh, letter to the Corinthians, talks about there was some insinuation that Paul was not committed to Jesus Christ or to the gospel. Then he talks about the collection, and he was thanking the believers for their collection that was offered to help the saints, the poor saints, and he was commending them. And then there was this third category of persons who were challenging Paul's apostleship, his authority. I don't know. I'm just curious and asking this question. What it is that you do, whatever that is that you do, has anyone ever questioned you or challenged you about your competency to do what it is that you were doing? You ever had that experience? Yeah. Did you get mad? Or you got even? Well, this morning... We want to look at how Paul responded to that. And specifically, the charge against Paul was his apostleship or his leadership as an apostle. Now, you may not be an apostle, but you do serve in some various aspects of ministry. And if you aren't, then you should as a believer. I want us to look then at the first part of this verse here, chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians, verse 7. In the first part of this chapter, Paul was accused of being a coward, a chicken, if you please. In verse 7, 
Now, I'm reading from the NBSV, and that is the New Bohemian Translation Version. It would say this. Look at what is in front of you now. If anybody wants to show off but he belongs or belongs to Christ, let me tell you something. Just like how you belong to Christ, V is too. But since that's going to take too much interpretation for those who might only have one language and not bilingual like most Bohemians, the English Standard Version says it this way. You look at what is in front or what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. The apostle urged the Corinthian Christians who were inclined to evaluate the claims of others rather superficially. In other words, they were judging them based on their appearances, maybe their status, their rank, or their way of living, their manners. To look below the surface of the claimant's assertion is what Paul is addressing. These opening words in this verse, I think, are implicit at least in two resident evils within the church of Corinth. One, I think in making that statement, they judged from the appearance, and this judgment led them to regard Paul as their inferior. But was Paul, in fact, inferior to them? Was not Paul, in all that which is intrinsically excellent, in his mental capacity, in his spiritual knowledge, in his Christly enthusiasm, and his supernatural power, was not Paul their superior, the very prince of the apostles, as we normally refer to Paul as? Men judge Christ by outward appearance, and we know how false, wicked, and pernicious their judgment turn out to be. By their fruit you shall know them, not necessarily by their actions, because actions often misrepresent the character of the soul. There are some persons who can imitate some amazing actions, and if that's all you see, you might be easily duped. Because men judge from the outward appearance, wolves in society pass off as sheep. Porpoise for princes, devils for saints, and rude people are often mistaken for philanthropists. The second thing I think is here very evident is that there was a move in the church in Corinth among some who aggregated or draw to themselves superior Christ-likeness. While there were those in the church who said that they were of Paul, some said, I for Apollos. Others said, I'm of Cephas. There were some that said that they were of Christ. They wished to be regarded as superior to all, as knowing more of Christ, being more 
intimate with him, having a stronger claim upon him. There was at least one critic, it seemed, to have claimed that he had received apostolic authority from Christ, which would have been every bit as binding as that of Paul. Paul did not dispute this claim right here in these verses, but he simply argued that his own authority was from Christ. And so he says, so also are we. Both claim to belong to Christ as his apostles. It was therefore unfair for the Corinthian believers to accept the claims of the critic and then to turn around and deny the claims of Paul. Verse 8. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. Paul argued that he could I've said more at this point about his apostolic authority to administer discipline and to direct the affairs of the local church. And that's why he said, I can boast somewhat further without feeling shame about what he had to say and without exaggerating. God, who is the maker and the manager of the universe, has given exceptional power and authority to some men. Do you remember Moses? Did you remember anything that demonstrated the awesome power that God has given to him? Elijah? You remember Elijah in the healing of the lady whose son passed away? You remember Elisha? You remember those young people who called him Ballhead? You remember how he got upset and he cursed him? But he also was the lady here, the Shunammite lady whose son had passed to be raised from the dead. You remember Peter? Did Peter did anything that demonstrated the amazing power that God has given to him? And what about Paul himself? Mind you, all of these, these characteristics or persons who had these very special gifts given to them by God were underneath the control of the individual. And it was always designed for the usefulness of the intended recipient, never necessarily for their destruction. And it is also true that none of these, because of their possession of these powers or authority, it was no protection from malice. It doesn't matter. The more distinguished the gifts or the graces that one receives, the more exposure to hatred of others. Is that not true? Sometimes you say, the higher you go, people pick on you more. They find excuses to find fault with you, to ridicule you, and make false statements about you. In other words, Paul is saying that no shame shall ever accrue to him from his boasting being proved false. The facts spoke for themselves. He was, by education, a man of learning and culture. In Philippians 3, 4 through 8, we read these words, and I quote, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, I am of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as of the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, 
a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Knowing Christ, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the excellency, the supreme, superior, surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as refuse, dung, garbage, rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ. End of quote. That's poor. You think he have anything to brag about? Yet there were those who were saying that his authority as an apostle was null and void. However, Paul, he did not want to put that kind of pressure on his opponents in the letter because other people were reading it. And some people would get offended, I'm sure. In other words, as I think I may have mentioned last time, you have to be careful when you speak to the whole congregation. There might be somebody in the midst who this is particularly targeted to and you want to speak directly to them, but then there are those who may not. And so you have the wheat and the tares together. And sometimes if I pull up the tares, the wheat get upset (laughs) because the wheat may have been holding hands with the tares. His reference to his authority for building them up here seems intended to contrast his edifying ministry in Corinth with the destructive work of his critics. In 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, we read these words, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwell in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. I'm going to slow this down, so listen to this. For God's temple is holy. Somebody asked the congregation once, are you holy? Raise your hand. For God's temple is holy. And you are that temple. That's an amazing truth. You are God's temple. I am God's temple as a believer. Why would I try to tear you down as God's temple? Why would you try to tear me down as God's temple? Or is it that you don't see me or I don't see you as God's temple? That doesn't happen today. Certainly not in Calvary Bible Church. Now maybe in that other CBC back in Corinth, this is what the experience was. In verse 9, I'll read verse 9 and 10 together. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. I believe that Paul's reference to frightening his readers is a little bit sarcastic. (laughs) As it is clear from verse 10, for they say, this is what they say about him, that, yeah, his letters are weighty, full of energetic vigor, and strong, powerful, but his bodily presence is weak. Basically, he was an imbecile. He's feeble. And his speech is no account, contemptible to be despised. 
It is probably better, though, I believe, to take the critic's charge that Poor was unimpressive as reference to his conduct among them and not to his physical appearance, even though there were those who said that Paul was a wee little man, but he wheeled a big mouth. He talked strong, but when he was present with them, he was not all that impressive. That's what they say. Like many who judge things according to outward display of this world, Paul's opponents interpreted meekness as weakness, forbearance for cowardice, and gentleness as indecision, or at least they sought to seduce and induce the Corinthian believers to place this kind of interpretation on Paul's character. Paul, as he mentioned in the opening verses, was trying to be as meek and gentle as that of Christ. Apparently, the believers did not, or at least some of them, did not interpret it that way because these other persons or a person who was there at Corinth in the church were making accusations, charging, making some false statements about Paul. And it's amazing that you can make any statement about anybody and there will be somebody who will believe you. doesn't matter what they say about you. Do you believe that some people think that I'm fat? Now, I was told, I know you need a little bit of faith to believe this, but I'm told by my mom that I was a fat, bouncing baby. <laughs> Ten pounds plus. But thanks to Brother Jerry, he reminds me that's my advantage these days. Because despite what you say, I have a guaranteed place in the kingdom. Because, Bible says, flesh and blood shall not enter, and I only have bones, so I get in. <laughs> Verse 11. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter and when absent, we do when present. Don't fool yourself, he's saying, or flatter yourself that there is some discrepancy between what I say and what I do, says Paul. In other words, I say what I mean, and I'll do what I say when I get there. He sounded like he had hard mode. But remember Paul's background. Paul would use a lot of military terms. Paul liked to let's get it on, let's rumble if you need to. But they were making these statements against uh, Paul. Then we come to verse 12 and following, and now they may raise this just by the words Paul used. They used mother charge against him. They charge him of intrusion. Verse 12. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. That's amazing. An acute observer has remarked that When war lasts long, the opposing combatants borrow each other's weapon and tactics. It was this uninviting weapon that Paul's opponents laid at his feet. Have you ever had an argument where people run on and on around? And it seems like they never stop. Mind you, most of the things that they're saying are not true. 
but they keep saying it. Now, in the Bahamian context, and I'm talking about little children, and they say things to one another that are ridiculous. Then I was shorter. They call me, one person called me Big Teat. And they said, my teat was big, like a pot cover. Now, I should I get upset? I instead of, I couldn't, that was quick, I haven't thought about it. that was very creative. Your teeth big like pot cover. Now, so the best thing for you to say right away is, yours, yours too. You know, so, so then they'll find another description to tell me something about myself, and so I use the same pot cover, maybe a bigger pot, you know. And so this will go back, and then they'll switch and they'll say something else, and we keep saying the same thing back and forth. None of it makes sense if you pour it. So what just happened? And so the little girl who I may have told you before who was crying in class because the other student called her big eyes. And she got upset. And she, of course she had an entourage of students who were bringing her you know, from the yard, the playground, into the classroom and saying, they call her big eyes. What if they called you? <laughs> you know, and you want somebody to nurse you. And she was crying her eyes out, as we say. And I said, you have lovely, what lovely eyes you have, you know, and try to pacify her. But we tend to do that. And sometimes, well, the word for that is gossip. We criticize one another, and you find somebody who will listen to you, and then you repeat it. But when you get an argument, you end up saying some ridiculous things about one another, where there's no proof, no truth at all. But you're saying it nonetheless, and it goes on and on and on. They cite it here. Their own conduct as normative. Do you know that you have some people who say, look, I am the standard. If I don't do it, and if you don't do it my way, it's the wrong way. And prided themselves on measuring up to their own artificial standard of excellence. In other words, Paul is saying that he concedes. He says, I give up. I throw in the towel here. When it comes to writing your own testimonial or your own character reference, like his critics does. Albert Barnes says, and I quote, their views are the standard of orthodoxy. Their modes of worship are the proper manner of devotion. Their habits and customs are in their own estimation perfect. And their own characters are the models of excellence. And they see Little or no excellence in those who differ from them, end of quote. Some people do that today. If you don't sing like me, you can't sing. Now, the only person who falls in that category is Paul Warren, so <laughs> main Paul in the same bloke. So we're good like that. So if you don't dress like me, you don't dress well. People, these are things people say. My, who I am, what I am is the standard. If you don't match made, then you are of no value. It is wrong. If you don't do what I do when I worship, then your worship preference or style is wrong. That's sad. But the reality is, that's what was happening back in Corinth, and I suspect that it is possibly happening on Collins Avenue, number 62, Nassau, New Providence, Bahamas. Paul is addressing this issue here today. Some people think that, I mentioned earlier, some people think that I'm tall. Some people think that I'm tall. 
But that is only true depending on who you compare me with. When I stand next to my brother, I am the shorter of the two. When I stand next to maybe one or two of you, you may say, you tall boy. You know. <clears throat> I've been called a lot of things. It is depending on the context what you say, whether what you say is in fact true. It is attributed to F.B. Myers and to have said these words, and I quote, always compare what is worst in yourself with what is best in others, and you will be kept humble. Always compare what is worst in yourself with what is best in others, and you will be kept humble. What's the worst thing about you? Don't tell nobody. All right. But yet we have this urge to find out what is worst in other people. Nothing more graphically displays the folly of man than for the man to make himself the standard of excellence. His pride is so inflated that he fails to see any value or worth in anyone else. 2 Corinthians 10.13 says, but we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even you. Now see the context. Visualize the audience. Paul is sending this original letter to. Listen to his response. Gives you a little insight into what was the underlying issue at hand. He responded that he had not exceeded the territorial limits of his commission by planting the church in Corinth, in Gentile Corinth. What is your ministry? Where have God assigned you? Has anyone ever told you or you felt like you were not wanted where you were serving? Wherever? here, or if you're visiting from elsewhere, whatever ministry you were involved in, and somebody, we say, you get this cold shoulder. Now, you know I scared of cold, so I will detect cold fast. But were you ever in any area, whether you were teaching and you were part of that grouping and you felt like somebody in the group didn't want you there, or you were in this praise team choir, a prayer group and you felt that there was somebody present who didn't want you there because they felt, why is she come? Why is he coming in here? Hmm. We ain't want no more. Were you ever felt been visiting one of our many churches and they felt like they were here before me, I'm the newcomer, and they just ignored me? I shouldn't, I feel unwelcome. I, so I ain't, I, I ain't coming back no more. Uh, I ain't do that no more. Remember who gave you the assignment? Remember who commissioned you? Paul is saying to these people who were probably accusing him. It's amazing the things people will say. Now, you know Paul was the first one to went to these Gentile Corinth with the gospel. And yet somebody comes behind and tells him he, he, he and other people's business. Now, remember, Scripture says elsewhere 
that some people come and some people do the major traffic or let's call it track to work. They like bulldoze everything down. Somebody comes behind with another machinery, you know, making sure preparing the soil. Somebody again plant, you know, and we know the end result. Who actually caused the growth? God does. Paul is saying he was a pioneer. His focus, his commission was pioneer to the Gentiles. And yet these people were using this. And then there were some people in Corinth who were actually listening. They had they forgotten. Verse 14 says, For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. Paul says in Romans 12, 20, quote, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, least I build on someone else's foundation. End of quote. Paul was the first to come to the Corinthians ministering the gospel of Christ. It was only the weakness of their faith that kept him from going further. Paul wanted to make sure that they were grounded. And sometimes while we keep in the same place doing the same thing over and over until we get it, the good teacher says, look, I'm going to teach the students. When the teacher or the students get the concept, then I'll move on, as opposed to I've been given this curriculum here and I'm going to teach that. So students, sit up, pay attention, fasten your seatbelt, I'm going to drive through this curriculum and I'm going to finish this by the time I get to the end of the semester. If when I get there and you're not there too bad because I'm going to give you a test. If you fail, that's your business. I still can get paid. (laughs) That is the wrong attitude. Teach the children. Paul says here again, he was the first to come to the Corinthians to minister the gospel of Christ. It was only because of their weakness, their lack of faith, that he could not keep moving on to new territories because he wanted to make sure that they were grounded in the truth. And while he was doing that, and he was away at the time he was writing this in Ephesus, that there were some other people in the church who were saying, are you talking about Paul? Child, one, I questioned him. By the way, he ain't all that, you know. You know, they're trying to undermine him when he was not. It's amazing. Verse 15. We do not boast beyond limit in the labor of others. But our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged. Verse 16. So that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. He has hope that as their faith grows, it will set him free to carry the gospel beyond them to other territories. Amazing. Warning, though. Warning. Matthew twenty-three fifteen says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is become so, ye make him twofold more a son of hell than yourself. The show is divine. But the reality is diabolical. Some people are very good at acting and doing the stuff. But behind all of that is devilish, diabolical. Verse 17. So I hasten to close. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's clear. No commentary. If you need to boast, boast in the Lord. Do you know as a child of God that you are in 
the Lord. Boast in that. But it won't be because of anything that you've done. That's all God's work. All because of God's grace. Jeremiah 9, 23, 24 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. In other words, again, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The battle, of course, is the Lord's. When you are in the neediest, he will be the most sufficient. When you are completely helpless, he is the most helpful. When you are totally dependent, he is absolutely dependable. When you are the weakest, he is the most able. When you are the most alone, he is intimately present. When you feel you are the least, he is the greatest. When you feel the most useless, he is preparing you. And when it is the darkest, he is the only light you need. And when you feel least secure, he is your rock and your fortress. When you are the most humble, he is the most gracious. When you can't, he can. For he is. And for it is the one and he is the one who commends himself, or for it is the one, it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but one, the one whom the Lord commends. Verse 18. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. And so when you want to go measure yourself, as Paul says, that is ridiculous. That's the practice of a fool who says or assumes the position that he is to stand in. When you join in with those who ridicule others, that is evil. And you're trying to aggregate unto yourself those people to follow you. Contextually wrong. If you want to be known and commended, let God commend you. Let God raise you up. Let God tell you come up here. Wherever you are, Minister, All of us have a ministry being called to serve, to share the good news. And the good news is that Jesus came. He lived, died, was buried, raised again on the third day so that you and I might have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can spread that wherever you go, wherever you are, day in and day out, so that God is exalted. And yes, while doing that, you might encounter people who might be attending the same church with you, maybe sitting in the same aisle, in the same pew, who will make false charges against you. I want to encourage you, remain faithful. Remain faithful because God is faithful. And all of God's holy people said, Amen. Amen.